Please turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. You can also follow along on page 8 of your bulletin. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everyone. I am so happy that balcony's full. That is awesome. This is fantastic. So not only do I have three kids, but I have four dogs, too. And that's my wife's fault. She's the dog lover. Three of them are great Pyrenees, and if you know that breed, the males are 150 pounds, and the females are between 80 and 100, so... White fluffy fur is the norm. You could sweep 100 times a day and it still ends up in your grits. It doesn't matter. So never a dull moment in the Moran home. So what a privilege to be here to encourage you all with the scriptures. Uh, we are Bible people. Uh, I know Metro is a gospel-centered church. You all love the gospel. I've heard it 70 times already. Uh, and I love that in the praying, in the singing, in the announcements. And so you're going to hear it again. Uh, what is the gospel, friends? It is simply this. It's the good news about Jesus. It's the good news that God became man, lived perfectly according to God's standard. He loved his father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. And he went willingly to a Roman execu execution, died on the cross, a substitutionary death for all those who would ever believe in him. And on the third day, he rose again. And now if we, any human being, anywhere on the planet, will turn from sin and trust in Jesus' person and work, ask for mercy and grace, we can be forgiven. We can be saved. We can be brought into God's favor. Not only God's favor, but God calls us his son's and daughters through adoption. This is an amazing gospel that we get to tell. And so this is what this message is going to be about. It's going to be about the gospel, but it's going to be application of the gospel in that as we are forgiven, we are required, not optional, to forgive. And so let me start with Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. 
Uh, some of you have heard of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this is the end of the Lord's Prayer where I'm breaking in. And Jesus, teaching his disciples, and by extension us to pray, says this. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you, now listen to this verse 14. Okay? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I imagine upon first hearing that, uh, when Jesus preached this during the Sermon on the Mount, he, it doesn't seem like he qualified that. It doesn't seem like he said, but, or now, he just moved on to the next portion in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read that again. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I'm going to let that sit for a minute because I know you who are steeped in the gospel, that feels a little uncomfortable. And it's a little uncomfortable for me too, honestly. So I'm going to let that sit there as Jesus let it sit there in the original sermon. And we'll come back to it at the end, okay? Now, at minimum, what is Jesus saying? At minimum, he's saying forgiveness is not optional if you're a Christian, that's what he's saying. At minimum, forgiveness is not optional if you're a Christian. Here's a few more texts. Matthew 5, same Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now listen closely what he says. If you're at the altar, this is the Old Testament temple, and you would bring various offerings for various reasons. He's saying, if you're there and you realize your brother has something against you, not you have something against your brother. He, he says, listen, if, if you remember someone has something against you, what is the exhortation here? Leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus here, again, putting great importance on forgiveness. Uh, Ephesians, uh, the, the, the letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, first three chapters, gospel doctrine, uh, four through six, application of that gospel doctrine. Here's, here's 432 of Ephesians. Be kind to everyone, tenderhearted, forgiving everyone or one another as God forgave you. Okay, so now we're getting somewhere with the gospel. What Paul exhorts the Ephesian church and then by extension us, he says, listen, as you've been forgiven, you need to go extend that forgiveness to others. As God has given himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, you must go even in sacrifice to make right relationships. Now, I don't want to see a, a, a raise of hands, but think of someone in your mind who you are not right with. There's got to be one at least, maybe five, maybe 10, maybe many people have wronged you, or maybe you've wronged many other people, okay? What we're talking about here is you reconciling as much as it depends on you with other people horizontally 
as you've been reconciled to God vertically. Okay? So first comes the forgiveness from God from above, as James tells us, every good and perfect gift comes from above. As we've received the forgiveness of God through Jesus, we then go and extend that forgiveness to others as we've been forgiven. Now, forgiveness has two stages, two stages, okay? The first stage is you are required, no matter what, no matter the wrong, to forgive everyone for anything they do. You say, that's, that's a lot. Right, it is a lot. And it's a supernatural act of God for you to be able to do this. You need God to accomplish this. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branch. And he says, without me, you can do, does anyone know? Without me, you can do nothing. I think I heard a whisper, nothing. Do they talk back to you here, Donnie? <laughs> so at my church, I ask rhetorical questions all the time, and people are just happy to have a conversation in the middle of a sermon. So feel free. If you want to answer, please answer. Um, one, one woman on the, on the front row a few weeks ago as I was preaching, she, she just yelled out, are you talking to me? And I said, no, I'm not going to say her name. No, I promise I was not aiming that at you, but she felt the need to call me out in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> it's fine. I love that. So feel free. You know, if, if I say something you don't agree with, let's do it. Let's do it publicly. Two stages to forgiveness. The first one is forgive as you've been forgiven. And remember, without the Holy Spirit, without me, Jesus says in John 15, you can't do this. You can do nothing. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. But the second stage of forgiveness requires something from the other party, okay? And that is repentance, repentance. Now, to repent literally means to turn, to, to change your mind and change direction, okay? For the Christian, repenting for the first time and trusting in Jesus, it looks like you're facing sin and you're in love with the darkness and you have a love affair with what God hates and you turn the other direction towards God and you begin to move towards him, towards the light, away from the darkness, away from what offends God. Now for us, repentance looks like whatever I'm doing to offend someone else, whether I'm gossiping or slandering or backbiting or physically abusing or whatever the sin is, I must turn from that, okay? If someone is sinning against you actively, there is a forgiveness that's required of you at level one, but level two, there must be repentance first, and then there can be relational reconciliation. Okay, now let's talk about this in the scriptures. Uh, Luke 17 is one of the, I think, most fascinating places in the book of Luke, and maybe in the gospels, to, to see this uh, forgiveness connected with repentance. Here's Luke 17, three through six, listen. Jesus speaking to his disciples says, pay attention to yourself. So the verse starts with, look at yourself, look at yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Notice that if he repents, then forgive him. But wait a minute, we just read in all those other passages in Matthew and in Ephesians that we have to forgive no matter what. And even if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. And so you can see here, this is a different kind of forgiveness that Jesus is pointing at in Luke 17. Again, look at yourself. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. That means tell them about the sin. 
Don't just let it slide. Don't pretend nothing happened. Don't just sweep it under the rug. You rebuke them. Now, for some of you who are rowdy in here, I'm sure there's some rowdy individuals, you're like, I love that. Like, someone offends me, I get to rebuke them. Do I also get to use my fists in the rebuking? Like, that would be fantastic, right? No, this is a telling them what they've done wrong, making it clear, and helping them to understand the offense. It needs to be clear to them. And the reason Jesus opens with pay attention to yourself, because did you know that if you are not a forgiving person, if there are many people who have many things that are in debt, you will become a person that is not free. You eventually will become a hardened person. You will become a resentful person. You will become a skeptical person. You will become a relationally closed individual. You will keep people at arm's length because I've been hurt before, okay? God doesn't want you in that space, hard, closed off, skeptical, bitter, resentful. No, he wants his people free. In fact, Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ, you, you can do more than a whisper, come on. It is for freedom that Christ, that was a little better than a whisper. Just a little. Josh, you got to speak up in the back. Help me out, bro. Come on. Come on, Josh. So, so we, we are to pay attention to ourselves when someone sins against us because it is very dangerous when someone sins against us. Okay? If you find yourself very uh, apprehensive about getting into relationships with people, perhaps you have a lot of people that have hurt you and you've not released them of that debt. That could be why. Perhaps you are a very skeptical person, always judging the motives, always saying, eh, I don't know. You look nice. You look like you care about me, but I don't know. I don't know about you. And, and that's perhaps because so many people have hurt you and they owe you and you've never released them of those debts. And listen, Jesus wants you, God the Father wants you, the Holy Spirit wants you to be free in Jesus. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you have many outstanding debts that people owe you that you've not released them of, it's gonna be really hard for you to experience the joy of the Lord. And so Jesus says, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him, verse four. And if he sins against you, listen to this, seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him, okay? Now, seven in the New Testament and in, in the Hebrew thinking uh, is the number of perfection. It's symbolic. And so uh, the number seven is not literal here. Like, all right, You've sinned against me the same sin seven times in one day. You got no more chances, okay? And on number eight, that's when I get to, to suplex you, okay? That's it. We're done, okay? No, what he's, he's talking about a sin that is very great and would look like it was, it's impossible to forgive somebody of this sin, Okay, in fact, Peter in Matthew 18 uh, points to this seven as well. In Matthew 18, 21, Peter, the, the lead apostle, comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? What's Jesus' answer? I'm sure you know. Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Some translations have 70 times 7, 490, right? And Jesus isn't saying like, all right, just keep that tally, and at 491, 
you can punch him in the face. Try to break the glasses if you can. No, he, it's symbolic. He's saying we forgive over and over and we forgive completely, even if you've been sinned against completely. Okay, remember the seventh day, God rests from creation. Everything is complete. He looks at everything and says, behold, this is, this is very good. The number seven is, is completion. And so Jesus is using the seven here as symbolic. Now, we could tell this hit the disciples hard because of their response in verse five. Listen to verse five. The apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. In other words, what you're asking is far too much. You need to increase our faith. You need to give us the ability to believe that this is possible and perhaps even you need to give us the power to do this. Increase our faith. You're talking crazy, Jesus. And listen what the Lord says. If you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Hey, now, uh, various strains of, of heretical theology would have us believe uh, that you can speak with faith and, and manifest reality, you know? That's not what Jesus is saying here, that you have uh, the power of faith within you, and if you use your words, you can speak to something, and it will obey you. That's not what he's saying. In fact, uh, Leon Morris is a New Testament scholar. He was Australian. Here's what he says. Listen, it's uncertain what the sycamine tree was in, in the Greek, sycamine. But most think of the black mulberry. The rabbis held that the roots of the tree with this name would remain in the earth for 600 years. Clearly, it was firmly rooted so that removing it would be difficult. Jesus is not suggesting that his followers occupy themselves with pointless things like transferring trees into the sea. His concern is with the difficulty. He is saying that nothing is impossible to faith. Genuine faith can accomplish what experience, reason, and probability would deny if it is exercised within God's will. And so here, Jesus is saying, look, you, don't, you actually don't need me to increase your faith. If you had faith even the size of a mustard seed, a tiny little speck of a seed, you could say, to a tree that has roots that stay in the ground for 600 years, be uprooted and thrown into the sea. It's metaphoric. He's saying a difficult thing could happen with a little bit of faith. Listen, faith always has an object. Did you know that? A faith is not floating out there in general and you can grab it. It's not like the force of gravity. Faith is neutral, but its object is crucial. You'd say it like that. Faith is neutral but its object is crucial. And here, faith is in God and in God's power to enable you to do what would otherwise be impossible. Namely, forgive seven times in a day if repentance is offered. Now, if we move to a, a parallel passage, we'll get back to Matthew 17 in a moment. But, I'm sorry, Luke 17 in a moment. But I wanna move to Matthew 18, the passage that was just read for us. In Matthew 18, we have a similar vein of, of thinking. It's, it's a parable. It's a story about forgiveness. And starting in verse 18, I'm sorry, 18 verse 23, we read this. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that number doesn't mean much to us, but a talent 
was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. 20 years wages for a laborer, one talent. How many did he owe? 10,000, 20 year salaries. That's a lot of money. That's like US debt money, right? That's some Bill Gates money right there, okay? So, so this is a lot of money here, okay? And, and, and this will make sense as the story progresses. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him all the debt, all the debt. Now, did you know that when you sin against someone or someone sins against you, there is real debt that is incurred, okay? Relational debt, spiritual debt, it's real. And to forgive someone is to literally release them of the debt. It's to say, you don't owe me anymore. That's what you do when you forgive. Here's, here's an illustration. Let's say uh, your car was broken and you didn't have enough money to get a car and maybe you were renting you know, from Uber and paying tons of money to rent, rent the Uber car. And I have two cars and so I was like, hey, why don't you just take my, my Nissan Sentra and you can borrow it for as long as you need. Hey, and, and, and I'm happily giving it to you and you're using it. And you have your kids in the back seat and your kids you know, love to do art and so they bring their paint supplies with them and you know how kids do. And so all over the black cloth in the back seat is paint all over it. And you're like, oh my goodness, I gotta give this car back to Chris and there's paint all over. And you try to get it out and it doesn't come out because it's a good quality paint. And so when, when you give it back to me, I see the paint and you say, I am so sorry. How can I repay you? Now, if I say to you in that moment, you know what? Don't worry about it. Real, real debt was canceled. Because either you pay to somehow get that cleaned or to have a brand new seat be brought and put in by a mechanic and you pay for it or I pay for it by saying, don't worry about it. I'll pay the debt. And what I'll probably do is just leave it because it's a Nissan Sentra, right? <laughs> Who cares? But the point being, someone's paying for it. And in this story, you were released of the debt. That's what it is to forgive. Someone really owes you and you release them. You say, you no longer owe me. That's what's happening in this story, okay? Now, in Luke 17, I'm gonna jump back and we'll go back to Matthew 18 in a minute, okay? So in Luke 17 here, Jesus tells a story. You remember they said, increase our faith. Help us to be able to do what you're asking us to do. And he says, hey, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed. But then he tells them a story, a parable, just like in Matthew 18, to help them grasp the forgiveness that they need to extend to other people. And here it is. It starts in verse 7, Luke 17, 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, 
We are unworthy servants. We have done only what was our duty. You say, what a weird story to tell in response to the disciples asking for increased faith to forgive seven times if someone repents uh, seven times. What a weird story to tell. But here's what's happening, okay? Just like we heard in Matthew 18, in this culture in the first century, there was no such thing as bankruptcy court. And so if you're one who runs debt super high and you get in big trouble financially and there's no way you can pay your debts, you can hire a lawyer and you can have all that debt wiped out. Now your credit score tanks, but you're, you're free to go, okay? And you could begin to rebuild. You know what would happen in the first century? The borrower was slave to the lender. Any Proverbs is blinking in some of your heads right now. And so if you owed somebody like a king in Matthew 18 a lot of money, you became that lender's slave, literally. And you worked off that debt. And so in the story here that Jesus tells, a servant or a slave is out plowing in the field, right? And, and he's working off a debt that he owes this master. And Jesus is saying, wouldn't it be absurd for the master to say, oh, come and, 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 and recline at the table and, and I, will, I will serve you. No, will he not rather say, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Well, of course not because the master is doing him a favor by enabling him, allowing him to get out of debt. So no, he's not gonna thank him. It should be the servant who's thanking the master. Thank you so much for allowing me to work off this debt. Very different from our culture, but in that culture, that was a grace move to allow someone to work off the debt. And then Jesus says in response to this, so you also, so now I'm pointing this at you. You're like this servant. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, I'm the master now in the story, and you're the servant. And after you have done all that you were commanded, say to yourselves, you know what? We're just unworthy servants. We have done only what was our duty. All right, how, how is that good news? <laughs> Here's how it's good news, friends. God has wiped out an unpayable debt in your case. You were that one who owed the 10,000 talents. Remember, 20 years wage for a laborer, 10,000 times. That's us. We owe God an unpayable sin debt that we could never work off. And God says, you know what? I'm gonna pay for that. The debt will be paid and I will be the one to make the payment. That's the cross, friends. God become man in the person of Jesus Christ and he hangs on a Roman cross and on that cross, all the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus as a substitute for all those who would ever turn from their sin, trust in Jesus and ask for forgiveness. And we are free, debt free. And amazingly, as we continue to sin against God throughout our lives, because when you become a Christian, you continue to sin, right? Sin in ways that you don't even recognize, sometimes till weeks or months later. And God continues to say, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. You just confess your sins, and I am faithful and just. I will forgive you your sin, and I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You just confess that sin. Friends, that's us. And now the expectation is, 
If you are in this space where God forgave you an unpayable debt, now you need to go and do the same. That's the logic of the rest of Matthew 18, which we'll go to now. So now, Matthew 18, 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii was a day's wage for a laborer. So a hundred days of labor. That's still a lot of money, right? That's, that's a lot. That's almost a third of the year salary. That's a lot of money, okay? So he finds the servant who owes him a hundred denarii and seizing him, grabs him. He began to choke him. I mean, think about this. Talk about unmerciful. Choke the man. And what does he say? Pay me what you owe. Now, I always imagine the rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson just picking up this guy like this, squeezing and watching his eyes get bigger, you know? And, and he's like, pay me what you owe, okay? And listen to what he pleads. The servant fell down, pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you, okay? That sounds very similar to what this man just said to the king who owed 10,000 talents. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay all the debt. Mm. We would say, that's, that's messed up, right? Like, we hear that and we're like, yo, you were forgiven 10,000 talents, and this guy owes you 100 denarii, and you, you were just forgiven all that money, and you can't even forgive him that small amount. And, and it resonates with us, like, that's messed up. Okay? And Jesus is a master storyteller. He's drawing us in. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servants, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servants? as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. Now listen to verse 35. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Now that's hard. Okay? And at minimum, here Jesus is saying, forgiveness is not optional. For one who has been forgiven all of their sins, all of their trespasses, which were an unpayable debt that would have taken eternity to pay, for those ones forgiven, it is not optional for you, for me, to hold other people in debt. Not an option. We must forgive. And if we had faith the size of a mustard seed placed in God's power, his Holy Spirit, we can do it. We can do it. Now, here, here's some practical help. Forgiveness is a process, not an event. And so oftentimes, uh, what, what we think is, all right, there's gotta be this, this moment of forgiveness. I release you of the debt, and that's real. There does need to be a moment at which you decide, all right, you now owe me nothing. And you know what now needs to happen? A process begins 
where you pay the debt. Do you know how we make others pay for their sins? We slander them. We backstab them. We hope bad things happen. We secretly, you know, make fake Facebook pages and troll them, you know. We, we do all kinds of things to make people pay, you know. We, we tell everyone who, who knows them how horrible they are. And, and we're, we're trying to make them pay the debt. But you know what's happening to us on the inside? We're getting bitter, resentful, cold, skeptical. We're, we're, we're putting people at arm's distance. You know, I, I heard a proverb one time. This is not in the book of Proverbs, so don't go looking for this one. This is just a proverb. Those who talk about others to you will talk about you to others. Let that sink in for a minute. And often that's one of the ways in which we make people pay for their sin. We tell everyone, do you know what they did? You know how horrible they are? And then then we like to hype it up a little bit, you know? and extort the story a little bit and make it a little worse, make them more of a villain. Now, here's help in, in the story. Embedded in the Matthew 18 story is this. The man who owed all the debt went and found his fellow servant. What does that sound like? Fellow servant on the same plane, horizontally the same. Friends, here's a help. This is one way in which you can forgive people. You must see others as yourself. In other words, you are a sinner in desperate need for a savior. And if you don't see yourself as a sinner in desperate need of a savior, you feel righteous and even self-righteous, and then you're able to be higher than the other and look down at them. They are the villain, and you are the righteous one, okay? But really, you're both sinners before God in need of grace and mercy, And Jesus said something about blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown. What? That's right. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And so here is a help. If you will take that person, who's the person in your mind? Who owes you? Bring them up in your mind. One of the things you can do is you can stand next to them and imagine God and both of you are in desperate need of his grace and forgiveness. And if you're in Christ, friends, you have been shown infinite mercy and grace. All your sins forgiven. You are free forever. And God wants you to go and extend that same grace on a horizontal level with people just like you. And especially if they're Christians. Especially if they're Christians. You know why? Because you are in a very real sense, their brother or sister. You're in the same family. You have the same father. You have the same big brother. You have the same spirit of God living inside of you as if you were the Old Testament temple. Now, I said that forgiveness was a process, not an event. Now, here's what this is going to look like. You're going to have opportunity to make them pay. And in that moment, you need to refuse. And in that moment, you are paying for it yourself. You can stop hitting replay on the YouTube video. Right? You have it memorized what they did and what they said and how it felt. And, and you just love to hit that play button again. And maybe some of you have been playing the same video for 10, 20 years. And if I just brought up their name 
your insides would start twisting. Right? And this is why Jesus said, look, watch yourself when someone sins against you. He wants you to be free from that nasty feeling in your gut and your chest getting heavy and your stress levels going up and you could feel your blood pressure rising. Jesus doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be free. And so you stopping playing the video over and over again, that will help. Eventually, you will forget. And so who do you tell the story to? Well, you tell it to God. God tells us in his word over and over in many places, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Okay? Whatever anxieties you have, cast them onto God through prayer and he will receive them. You can process the releasing of debt with God himself and he will meet you in that. He will honor that. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be, to be moved, Psalm 55, 22. And so as you're tempted to tell somebody about what they did, tell it to God instead. And eventually what you'll find is, oh, I haven't talked to God about this in months, in years. What were the details of that event again? But it is a process and it will take time. And so one of the questions I get asked about forgiveness is this, if I forgive, do I have to forget? Right, that's a, that's a common question about forgiveness. And the answer is no, you probably can't forget. But eventually, you can work towards forgetting. You can not replay it so many times that it's burned into your head like your favorite song. You can stop rehearsing it to the point where the details start to get a little fuzzy. And then it stops sneaking up on you, unbidden, knocking on your door. And before you know it, you're not thinking about it anymore. You know why? Because you're free now. But friends, it's a process. It's not gonna happen like that. You have to work through the process. You have to make the decision, I'm going to forgive as I've been forgiven, and I'm going to now pay the debt myself, and I'm gonna absorb and process with God. That's what I'm gonna do, and he will help you. Here's Ed Welsh, and I'm almost done, guys. Ed Welsh is a, a biblical counselor, really helpful pastor. He's, he's close to here in Philly. Though scripture does not speak, I'm sorry, though scripture does speak of God's wrath against sin, it is not the main emphasis. Scripture's emphasis is that the triune God is inclined by his very nature to forgive. That is his resting state. His plan has always been to turn his wrath away from us and onto another. And he does this as an expression of his character rather than a response to our contrition. I love that. Let me read that again. He does this as an expression of his character rather than a response to our contrition. God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I promise. I feel so terrible. Okay. I will have mercy on you. No, he's expressing his very nature in forgiving. He delights to forgive. And Ed Welsh goes and quotes Romans 5, 8 to 11. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, or yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved 
by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation. We're good now. Nothing is between us. No walls, no offenses, no debt. Us and God are are good. And friends, that is what God wants for you and everyone else. (laughs) Now, Paul would tell us in Romans, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. There are some people who do not want to reconcile with you, and you're not responsible for making them reconcile with you. But as much as it depends on you, you do what you can to make things right. And friends, I know what that means for some of you because you've been terribly sinned against, even by family members. I understand what Jesus is asking you. But with his help, you can do it. And this will bring nothing but health to you. Nothing but spiritual health and joy and freedom. Ed Welsh finishes, love comes to sinners. Wrath has been turned away because God, Father, Son, and Spirit wants it that way. Sin separates us from God no longer. He has attached himself to us. We cannot argue with the blood of Christ shed for us. Love it. And as we've been forgiven, we forgive. Now lastly, there is a time and there is wisdom, and this takes pastoral counsel and guidance. And so, As I say this, I want you to consult with your pastors before you go and take action today, okay? There is biblical warrant for cutting people out of your life. "Mm, That's interesting. (laughs) There are times in which we need to separate from people and no longer allow them to sin against us. I'm thinking specifically of abuse situations. God does not want us to sit in that. That would be enabling others to sin against you, and that's not loving. You, you, You cut that relationship out. Here's one text in Titus, Titus 3, 9 to 11. Paul, uh, the apostle, is, is speaking to his son in the faith, and he says, listen, Titus, avoid foolish controversies over genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. For as a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, twice, have nothing more to do with them knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. Okay, and then there's another one in 1 Corinthians 5, which I don't have time to unpack, but uh, a man is having illicit relations with his mother-in-law or his stepmother. And Paul, uh, speaking to the Corinthian church, literally says, hand this man over to Satan, separate yourself from this person so that they might repent and be restored, but you get away from them and get them away from you. So there's more texts, but those are two in particular where we could see, all right, there is sometimes wisdom and God's instruction in separating yourself from certain people. And I wanna encourage you, before you go do that today, be like, yes, sermon application time, baby. Okay, talk to Donnie, okay? Talk to Tim, talk to Josh, talk to Andrew, talk to your to your leaders here. Talk to Daniel, okay? Don't just go and do this without pastoral counsel, okay? Don't say, Chris told me I could. 
You told me I could. I heard that sermon. I was listening. All right, let's, let's finish. I know I said let's finish five times. I'm sorry. This is it. Really, this is it the last time. Let's go back to where we started at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven, have forgiven, past tense, our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, if you cannot or will not forgive other people their debts, then maybe you're not forgiven. Now, I want to say, this is hard. And thus, the disciples increase our faith. We, we can't do this. But I think what Jesus is saying is, if you've really received the forgiveness of all your sins that would take an eternity to pay for, then the natural response, the logical response is you extending that same forgiveness and grace to others. And so it's a check. It's to say to yourself, man, have I been forgiven? Have I received the grace of God in Jesus Christ? And if you are stiff-arming other people and refuse to forgive, friends, that's like a warning light on the dashboard. And Scripture gives us warnings as a means of keeping us in the faith. It's a means, okay? Donnie will preach that sermon next week, the means of grace. But warnings about hell and about not being uh, forgiven, these are warnings to keep us on the right track. And it's always the Holy Spirit who enables us and empowers us to be obedient. It's not us in and of ourselves. And if it was, it'd be self-righteousness and it'd be sin. So we we can't do this on our own. I can't do this on my own. You can't do this on your own. We need God. And friends, lastly, we need the community. We need others. We need to say, Daniel, I can't do this. Please pray for me. I've got this person, and maybe it's my mother, and she has sinned against me so terribly, and I cannot find it in my being to forgive. Will you please pray for me that God would give me the grace, the power, the strength, the will to forgive and wrestle, wrestle with the process. And if you do not give up, if you do not let hold of God until he comes through, friends, God will come through. When we seek to live out his will and his word, he comes through. When we ask for prayers that are very explicit, do this, oh God, help me do this. All right, God's answering that prayer. He might not get you the new Benz or the newest Tesla truck, but he's going to answer your prayers to enable you to forgive others, right? Amen. So let's wrestle and let's pray together. Let's rejoice in our forgiveness that we have received from our heavenly father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's then go by his strength and grace and power and extend that forgiveness to others. Let's do that. Let's pray.